0: Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are here with me today. Oh, we've got another fascinating show in store for you today. Uh, I hope uh, you caught our show last week and uh, this week. um, I have another fascinating guest talking all about uh, fear. You know, it's a topic we don't talk a lot about on this show, but I think fear is is very important to, to kind of share some light on it. Uh, But of course, we have our quotes of the day from the universe and from Abraham. So let's get started. I know you've been waiting all week long for your quotes. Let's see what the universe and Abraham have in store for us today. From the universe. It's up to you. It's entirely up to you. And this just might be all you ever need to know. Say yes. The universe Ah, we love our quotes from Mike Dooley in the universe being uh, a little empowering I think today because it really is all up to us and we'll see talk about that I think a little bit uh, during this interview and let's see what Abraham has to say from Abraham if you don't have to justify the good that flows to you it is a given you are of more value in the joy of your cross-stitching than in the struggle of your ironing. Abraham. See, two quotes, and they're always very apropos for our guests, Um, that actually very much relate to each other. You see, the universe is telling us that really, as you've heard me say many times on the show, we kind of create the world around us. We really buy how we respond to the things that come to us, the people around us, by the energy that we put out. We we attract different experiences, different people, and really we create the world around us. That's why it's entirely up to us. And that's why, you know, ultimately if we really understand that we have control over what we put out, over what we respond, and by what we respond, we create what happens in our life, You know, then it doesn't matter whether things are going well or not. We can always change things however we please. But if we're always living a reactive life, if we're always living in a way that we're giving our power away to other people, other things, circumstances, anything... Uh, then you know you don't you've given your power away you're not necessarily going to feel like you can change things so i think it's very important to realize that and and kind of hand in hand with that you know sometimes we have a problem with things just going well with just feeling good i mean it's amazing with the work i've been doing lately how as i've seen people heal and grow and they just all, all of a sudden they're not used to like things going good and feeling good. And it's like, oh my God, like, I don't know if I can deal with this. And and because we think like we have to earn good things for us. We think we have to deserve good things happening to us. The truth is we don't. And this is what Abraham is saying. We don't have to justify good things. You know, we deserve them just because of the fact that we're being. And, and actually when we're allowing good stuff to come to us, when we're being more in joy, when we're being more happy, that actually we bring more value to the world than when we're struggling and when we're striving and so hard and oh, I got to get this done, I got to get that done. Instead of saying, you know what, I just love what I do. You know, I I often say to people when I meet them that, you know, I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I come to work and I do what I love to do every single day. And I know that by showing up that way in the world that I am being of more service to people and of more value to this world uh, than if um you know i'm showing up going, oh my god i got to build my business more i got to get more clients i got to do more oh you know and i'm struggling with all the challenges um i don't believe in struggling i believe in dancing with our things so anyway two uh, short but sweet uh, quotes of the day i hope you enjoyed them of course next week we'll have uh, two more quotes of the day and now it is my extreme pleasure to introduce joan kingsley who is a psychotherapist and author of the brand new book fear-free organization vital insights from neuroscience to transform your business culture she has private practice in London, she's an honorary consultant psychotherapist at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery, and is on the psychotherapy register at the School of Life. She practices also as an executive coach and has vast amounts of experience worth working with businesses in supporting their, their staff and human resources. She's a member of the New York Academy of Sciences. Hmm, I'm sensing a theme here, New York, uh, a fellow at the Royal Society of Arts and a member of the Royal Academy of Medicine. She spent the past 25 years researching the links between brain systems and our psychological lives. So welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Joan.
1: Thank you very much. I'm mm-hmm. happy to be
0: here. Wonderful, wonderful. So um, y- 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 you don't know this about me yet, but my wife's a psychotherapist. So psychotherapists oh, always have a very s- special <laughs> near and dear place in my heart. So, yes, yeah, she's constantly analyzing me, yes, but, yes. you know, I've learned to deal with it. <laughs> so um, I'm curious. Uh, I mean, you've, you've been a therapist for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have any? Uh, do you have any specialty in, in your practice? No, I'm, I'm rather eclectic. And oh,
1: okay. I took up psychotherapy therapy when I was 50. Oh, really? Yes. Ah. I mean, I, I'm an old person, you see. I'm an old wise person. <laughs> an old soul. Uh, old you
0: know, As long as you're young at heart, that's what counts, yeah. right?
1: I, I'm married to an Englishman. We moved back ah. to London. My girls were 7 and 11. And I thought, gosh, I've got to find something new to do in my life. I mean, I was an actress. I worked in advertising. Oh, really? oh. So I have a broad spectrum of experience. And I signed up for for a psychotherapeutic course because it was in Regent's Park. It seemed Mm. nice. I had no idea whether I was going to like it. I walked (laughs) in, and it changed my life. Ah. And within five years, I had a booming practice. Really? Paul Brown, who's a co-author of the book, Mm -hmm. uh, mentored me,
2: Ah. hired me to write
1: things on communication for British Telecom. So, you know, it, it was just a... You know, you talk about moments in your life that yes. are life changing. And yeah. the day I walked into that classroom, it changed my life.
0: What, what What about that class was like, what made that light bulb turn on and say, aha?
1: I think it was uh, Regents Colleges and... Existentially oriented, and the the whole uh, idea of the philosophy grabbed me. Uh, so it's okay. it, you know although everything is is based in Freudian theory, mm. the idea that one is examining one's life from a living and being perspective mm. and learning how to accept
0: mm. the
1: realities of life and mm. and what is is and who you are you are and then right. you can go and change yourself in the world.
0: Right. right but
1: right. if you're constantly blocking uh your givens then you're in big trouble and and that's what appealed to me was Ah. studying the philosophers because it was much more than just becoming a psychotherapist it was learning a whole philosophical way of life
0: right 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 well i mean in five years you had a booming practice that that's pretty quick i know i know this from the inside out yeah um were there any challenges in 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 becoming a psychotherapist for you was there anything about it that you know was you know a little bit of a struggle
1: um, other than learning how to do the work, I I um, did my training at um, Charing Cross Hospital in the psychiatric uh. unit. And that really was very challenging <laughs> because <laughs> I was working with people who had been inpatients in the hospital, mm. had been on a wait list for two years. Wow. And, um, you know, were so desperate for help, but people... With schizophrenia, yeah, personality yeah. disorders, yeah, yeah.
3: and That's it was a, a wonderful population. training
1: ground because yeah. you know wonderful um, therapists and psychiatrists doing the um you know helping us out and having that w- those weekly sessions with them going yeah, through everything, yeah. and I really learned about a lot about the um the kind of emotional signals that get mm. transmitted between in a session and between mm. people. Mm. So when you're working with somebody who's quite struggling with mental problems... It's very tiring. Yes. And it's learning yes. what's me, what's not me. Yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah. of
1: course to take that right into working in business organizations because yes. Paul Brown is a business psychologist. Right. So you know, that's where I did all my business training.
0: So yeah, yeah cool. it's fantastic. Cool. So so I do want to get to the book, but just one last question before we yeah. get to the book, which is Training in England. I'm just wondering: is there a, do, do the British and, and the Europeans kind of take a different approach to psychotherapy than we do here in the United States?
1: They don't really take a different approach. Okay. Um, I think you know people are moving away from psychoanalysis because yes, of yes. the time involved and the cost. And I, yeah. I think that's happening there. That's happening here. Yes. What What I find in the UK mm-hmm. is that I am not working with a lot of neuroses. I'm working oh, mostly with repression, particularly with men.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. so
1: it's it's a different um, kind of uh, cultural thing,
0: right? You know, right, but right, but right,
1: underneath right. it all are our emotions, and emotions right. are common right. throughout cultures, throughout right. species.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so what g- g- gave you the idea to focus on fear?
1: Okay, so um, in the early 80s, uh, Joseph Ledoux, Mm -hmm. I think he was at Rockefeller at the time, he was doing, he's a neuroscientist, and he Mm -hmm. was doing major research on the fear pathways in Mm -hmm. the brain of rats, but rats have very similar fear systems to human beings. At the same time, all of the MRI scanning was happening, all this new technology. So they right. could, it used to be that they had to rely upon brain-damaged people to study what was going wrong in uh, the human brain. Right, right. And now they could look at brains as they were living, breathing, feeling, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and responding in brain scanners. So mm-hmm. there was this huge explosion of knowledge. And it was just at the time that I was writing my dissertation. Uh.
3: And
1: and so the, uh, Freud, it went right back, Freud was a neuroscientist, and he mm-hmm. developed his theories based on neuroscientific research, mm-hmm. and the technology wasn't available to him, and he wrote about it to prove his theory. So here we are in the 80s, all of this explosion of knowledge. Daniel Goleman is the science editor at the New York Times, and he is writing about Joseph Ledoux's research. Daniel Goleman writes Emotional Intelligence.
3: Right, right.
1: And I'm sitting there, we're sitting there, and we got to do some work with Daniel Goleman at British oh, Telecom. You? Yeah. Oh, so that it was amazing. Oh, and, okay. and, and so I just got caught up with it just grabbed me. The whole uh, subject.
0: Uh, okay, great, great. All right. Well, we're going to go out for a quick commercial break. Uh, when we come back, let's uh, we'll start talking about some of the basics of the idea of just a fear-free organization and sort of where the whole uh, idea for the book came from. Okay. Okay. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour: Awakening Humanity. My guest this hour is Joan Kingsley, uh, author of The Fear-Free Organization. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. Then we're talking to Joan Kingsley, author of The Fear-Free Organization. So, Jonah, I- I'm curious with, with your years of, of practice in psychotherapy, um, why, uh, when, when you decided to work on this book, did you focus a, sort of on, on business and organizations?
1: Well, we do a lot of work with people in organizations. And even okay. if I'm seeing somebody privately for psychotherapy, Right. They're going to work. And, you know, often we'll spend the first year of work, because psychotherapy is a long process, you know, working on the emotional problems. And then we get more into the how things get played out in business organizations. So, you know, um, it's always, I'm always working with people in business, whether I'm actually Working in an organization or working privately. Right. And, and, and it's and how, all about relationships.
0: Right. And, and how somebody shows up in their life is going to be how they show up at their job as well. Yes. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. And so what was the, the, the germ or the seed that, that, that sprung into, that grew eventually into this book of Fear Free, the Fear Free Organization?
1: Well, we were seeing and we did some work with... Our third author, Sue Mm Peterson, who was at Shell at the time. Mm -hmm. She is a geologist. A geologist. A geologist. We went to Groningen in Holland (laughs) to work with her exploration team, Mm -hmm. filled with champagne bottles because if they found gas or oil, you know, Uh know,
0: it was a big deal. Big deal.
1: But there was a lot of fear running around in the organization, and Uh particularly women in a male-dominated environment. Obviously, Mm -hmm. oil and exploration Mm -hmm. is predominantly male. Yes. So we were helping Sue and her team think about that. And then we all got talking. We all just got on really well, Sue and When you say
0: that there was a lot of fear there, fear of what?
1: Fear of not performing, fear Ah, of... Fear of failure,
0: fear of success. Yes, yes.
1: You know, they had a, a lovely boss, but they'd had previously somebody who was not so lovely so there was some um, bullying that had been going on fortunately that had stopped
3: mm-hmm.
1: but you know it, it's just so predominant in our business environments today yes and and what we found is that most managers uh, not most man- I shouldn't generalize like that but that it's very easy many managers, many managers Thank you. <laughs> it's very easy to tap into another person's fear system. It's the mm. easiest emotion to trigger. And that makes absolute sense from an evolutionary perspective because right. if you don't have fear, you're not going to survive. Right, <laughs> so, right. um, but people who become managers in business organizations are promoted because of the work they do, right. not because they're good with people. And then suddenly, and I've had people, I had somebody who I worked with who ran a scientific lab. Mm-hmm. And she was a brilliant scientist. And suddenly she was promoted. And she's running this whole department
0: of scientists with all their personal problems. <laughs> right. It's It's funny how we think that just because someone can be a good quote unquote technician yes. and have excellent technical skills about yes. something that, that you move them up the ladder and now they're responsible for other people that, that one translates to the other and that's not necessarily so. It's certainly you, not so. You can so. have someone who's very good at working with people but who's a lousy technician.
1: Yeah, and if you have somebody who's insecure about themselves, right. who doesn't know themselves, who right. doesn't It all gets insight. amplified, right? Yeah, and then a lot of anger gets, you know, is felt internally by the manager mm. because I can't cope with this and that anger gets pushed out into the environment they work in and you know taps into another person's fear system and you can use fear to manage somebody very successfully in the very 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 short term long term and and that's what
0: a lot of people do is they use fear actually to control people right i mean Uh, you know you can say a lot of uh, certain aspects of religion are very fear-based in order to control people Absolutely. certain aspects of um of the way media in some ways right would they yeah. use a lot of fear in media in order yeah. to get sure that people keep buying the newspapers keep watching the never news mind shows. politicians <laughs> <laughs> yes yes <laughs> um okay got it so uh, what did you find about like the difference of how fear works sort of on an individual level as opposed to sort of a group level?
1: That's a very very good question because we're all different and um, we tell a story in the book of the and this is all the stories in the book are true Mm -hmm. so these two people who'd grown up in a community together Mm -hmm. and were now working in the same organization Mm -hmm. and they're sitting at lunch and they're reminiscing about some birthday party they went to when they Mm -hmm. were like seven years old.
3: Right.
1: And she's saying, oh, God, we had so much fun at that party. And remember Clem the Clown. And he's saying, Clem the Clown. That is the worst memory from my childhood. <laughs> I was so terrified, terrified of that. Yeah. So there you are, same yeah, party. Yeah. Two people at the same party come away with completely different perceptions about what happened and right. how they feel about it. Right. Move that into a meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, you're grown up, you're in a meeting, And you think you know what's being said, but everybody at the meeting is hearing something different. And right. it's all about their experiences right. and what they're focusing on.
0: Right, right, exactly. I, I, I one time heard someone say, you know, the most the, the greatest miracle in life is the fact that we can communicate by sound. Because, you know, one person is like opening their mouth and going, ah, rah, 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 and like yeah. other people think they're hearing what the other per- person is saying. But in reality... It, it can be vastly different.
1: Well, most communication is nonverbal. Right. And you know, when you go for a job interview, the moment you walk in that door, the person who's going to interview has decided in or out. Mm. Uh, You may not get the job, But if you're out, you're never going to get that job. So there are, you know, the way we hold our bodies and how we communicate and the chemistry Mm. is so powerful. And and I don't think that people appreciate that Mm. properly. Right. You know, they think, yeah, "Oh, I yeah, can." Yeah, yeah. You know, we live in this very highly logical world, so we think we can logic everything. And yeah. life isn't like that.
0: No, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. Many things defy logic. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so I'm curious with the book. So you're a psychotherapist. Paul Brown is. He's a psychologist. Psychologist. He's a clinical
1: and organizational psychologist. And Sue Patterson? Is an oil and gas yeah. expert, consultant. Kind of an interesting
0: combination. It's fabulous.
1: <laughs> and Paul now lives in Vietnam.
0: Oh, really? Yeah,
1: he's moved to Vietnam. For, oh, wow. You know, his son lives in Laos, and you oh. know, he's, he set out, he's doing very well in Vietnam. Oh, interesting. Sue lives in Aberdeen. And we all bring different um, expertise into this. right? So
0: so, so what got the three of you to say, you know, we should really write a book about this stuff? We
1: were having lunch one day Uh. and we were talking. Paul said, let's write a book. But I've got to tell you, that was 15 years ago.
0: 15 years. Wow. We spent a
1: long time thinking about this book, Uh. having false starts. And, you know, it was really a journey. Mm. And Paul would always say... This is the right time to write the book. Mm. If we'd written the book 15 years ago, we wouldn't have had the body of knowledge mm. that exists today. Okay. So although we instinctively knew things, it's very good to have the science underneath. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. I did a hu- I wrote most of the neuroscientific stuff in the book. Okay. And I did a huge amount of research. Okay. Everything is backed up with references. Every single thing Uh, you know you'll you'll see at the end of those chapters the reference reference reference
0: Reference. what were what were some of the the surprises you got along the way like like as you as the book was unfolding did it kind of unfold the way you thought it would or or were there some twists and turns you didn't expect well
1: i have a very uh unusual way of writing Mm -hmm. which is i sit down i and i'm very good at coming up with chapter titles or headings Uh and then i look at the computer screen and then I play solitaire.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, kind of similar a to way, of, right? you know,
1: Yeah, a lot of procrastination. But. Um I kind of learn while I'm writing. and I, mm. I, Something pops up in my brain. And, mm. and, you know, we write about eureka moments in the book, which are okay. very important for creativity. Right. And that's kind of how I write. I have eureka right. moments. I don't uh-huh. sit... My, I, my older daughter is a writer uh-huh. and she sits and she, she's a novelist. And she oh. does her chapter plans and everything. I, for me, forget <laughs> it. <laughs> it's an organic thing. Yes, but yeah. again, it's very individual. Some people love mind maps. Some right. people want to know the whole book plotted Uh, out. uh, uh, But I just and and the frustration for Sue and Paul because I was writing the first half of the book was uh, waiting for me to finish my writing so they could (laughs) (laughs) move forward with theirs. And it was just wonderful. And I found mm. wonderful things on the internet, you know, yeah. things that were written in the 1800s in old newspapers. Oh, really? I mean, it was amazing what oh. I found. W-
0: what's an example of one of those old bits? Do you remember?
1: Um, well, I think... Um, Hewlings Jackson, who is my hero. Mm. Now, very few people know who Hewlings Jackson is. Yeah, not a he, name. For me. <laughs> he was a neuroscientist. There's a, a wing in the hospital I work in called the Hewlings Jackson Ward. Wow. And he discovered, based on Darwinian theory, because everything mm-hmm. comes from Darwin. Right. Uh, forgive the people who don't believe in that, but right. I very much do. Uh-huh. That uh, there are parallel systems in the brain. Okay. Mm. So while you're thinking, you're feeling, you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, your body is ticking over the brain. So they're right. all happening at the same, same time, time in yeah. parallel. Yeah. And sometimes they connect, sometimes they don't. And uh. Huling Jackson set, set out that kind of blueprint of how the brain works and it had it oh. made everything that's happened in neuroscience possible wow and so i found some old papers of his on the internet and interviews with him and that was thrilling
0: oh i bet
1: because i wrote about him in my dissertation because freud was very connected to hewlings jackson so he couldn't have done what he did without hewlings jackson's theory so you know he's my hero
0: Oh, interesting! <laughs> Very interesting. You know, speaking about Darwin, I, I actually just uh, last November, me and my wife, we did a, a vacation to Ecuador, and we went to Ooh. the Galapagos oh, Islands. Lucky you! So we actually got to see um, some of the things, and I actually learned some of those. You know, this big, um, one of the islands is this big statue of Darwin with an iguana and wow. a sea lion and a torto- and a giant Galapagos tortoise and some other things around him. But what I didn't know was one of his experiments. One of the things that he did is he he, is that there were uh, down there is the only place you find marine iguanas which are like these black iguanas that can actually live underwater for a period of time and so he took a regular iguana, like tied a rope around it in a weight and like throw it overboard and would like pull it up after five minutes, it would still be alive. Then he would do it longer than 10 good. minutes yeah. and then 15 and 20. And he found that they could basically live about 45 to 50 minutes underwater. Mm. And that was it. Huh. And that was sort of what they were able to adapt to yes. and what they needed to do because they eat the algae underneath.
1: How interesting.
0: You know, and these and this is like the only place in the world where it's you so find iguanas exciting, like that. Isn't yeah, it? It really was. It was fascinating. It was fascinating. Okay. We
1: only know little bits of the world. No,
0: exactly. Yeah. The world is such a fabulous place. And I'm such a big believer in travel and yeah. like seeing different parts of the world. You'd learn so much. It's yes. amazing. Yeah. All right, um, I digress. Uh, but it's time for us to take another commercial break so when we come back let's dive a little bit more into some of the advice that you've come up with in fear-free organization for what organizations can do to make their workplace i guess more effective more efficient and a less fear-based place so everybody please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity and we'll be right back
2: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. Are you looking for a show where people talk about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself?
1: Well, then you have come to the right place because the Rob and Callie show is doing just that. For the last 10 years, Rob and I have been having our own version of Sunday morning therapy sessions on the phone. And now
0: we're bringing it to the radio.
2: So tune in and call in live Wednesdays, 8 to 830 on talkradio.myc. And
0: that's Eastern Standard Time. So join us. Back to the conscious consultant, our awakening humanity. So, Joan, um, in, in the process of coming up with these insights from neuroscience and applying them to a business culture, so what are uh, maybe just give us a sort of a thumbnail sketch of like some, what are some of the big um, uh, advices in in the book that that managers and and CEOs can really apply to their organization to make you know the, this this thing we call a, a business a little less fear based and, yeah. and why should they actually yeah. is, is the other question well I
1: think th- the important thing is this book is not a how to book in that you know the okay. traditional sense right it's a book saying to leaders and managers when you are using fear to manage another human being Mm -hmm. this is what's happening inside their brains Mm -hmm. this is the effect you are having on the person you are scaring Right. And do you really want to do that? And this is what right. happens to, when somebody's watching their back; they get into survival. We want people thriving at work, right? right, right. And what people in the grips of fear are doing is they're surviving. Right. So it's and, and
0: you also in the book kind of point out the long-term uh, uh, detrimental effects of that.
1: Well, it, it, they're terrible because yeah. you wind up with somebody who's frozen, who can't right. create. Right. Right. Who's um, thinking about everything they say. And you wind up, actually people say, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I say, people can die. Yeah. You look at the Challenger space shuttle. That was yeah. a cover
0: up. Oh, there were God. people
1: who wanted to blow the whistle. They knew there was right. something wrong with the O-ring. Right. And yeah, they absolutely. didn't want to lose their jobs. Right. So they just told their you know managers, their leaders the, you know, what they wanted to hear, right. and then you wind up with the challenger space shuttle i mean that 's you know an extreme, extreme example, example, but there have been other examples i won 't mention them yes. because companies are you yes. know very sensitive today, but we all read the news and we know yes. about terrible things that happen, and how businesses cover these things up. Right. they know they know there 's something wrong. And they cover it up and then people die. So that really is the worst thing right, can, right. that can happen. And it does happen.
0: Right. People die. The environment gets contaminated. Yes. I mean, just all kinds of things that just yes. make life less livable. Yeah.
1: And, w- and what we all want is safety. Mm. We want to be feel safe at work. Right. We want to feel safe in our lives. We want to trust the people we work with. So right. for managers, their biggest job is creating... Honest, open, trustworthy relationships. Right.
0: There was a time in the past, in, in really the height of the industrial age, where organizations really needed to kind of get people to fit into a cog in order to be work on an assembly line and to just yeah. kind of work in sync. Yeah. But nowadays, with change happening faster than ever before, and being bombarded with information. Being really every country now is a global economy. We really can't afford to operate that way anymore, can we?
1: No, no. But what's interesting, if you go back to those old-fashioned organizations, Mm -hmm. they were very community-based because ah. the world of work was not global the way it is right. now right so that even though people might have been going in on an assembly line and mm. doing really boring stuff there right. were profound relationships within the community ah. and with the the people who owned the company so you think right. about the textile mills think of carousel you know uh it's a wonderful musical that takes place you know in rhode island Mm -hmm. and you know it's all about community where is community in a business today
0: yeah absolutely and
1: And where are the relationships and young people are really struggling i have two young daughters and i you know you read about the millennials and cool
0: and you know wear
1: t-shirts to work t-shirts are the new suit right i mean it's just another uniform
0: right right and 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 that community facet is even more tenuous than it's ever been before especially now that you have virtual organizations like yeah. i speaking with a woman um who runs a, a company that's all about um workplace diversity and and her team is literally spread across the country i mean yeah. she's got some people here in new york but but like 80% of her team is spread across the country. So where's yeah. the community in that? I mean, they're communicating online. Well, you, can, you can
1: find ways of creating community and it can right. be very exciting and yes. progress is progress and yes. we are built to adapt. Yes. And a lot of people sit around and moan about, oh, dear, the world is changing, and I'm not yeah. going to change with it. Well, that doesn't work either. No, it doesn't. You know, it I doesn't. went, um, my older daughter went to Columbia Journalism School, and I went back for an alumni weekend because mm. she had presented a book in ah. their book thing. Mm-hmm. And I went to lectures, and they had alumni from the 70s. That was, a, yeah. you know, 1972 was the year they were, you know, right. honoring that year. Okay. And they were get, the, the tutors were getting up and saying, this is the world today, ah. and we are going to help you adapt to be in that world. Because everybody's sitting there feeling alienated and ah. isolated. So there are ways to connect to this new world, but one has right. to keep a very positive attitude and not right. get stuck in the moaning and groaning mire.
0: And the fear.
1: In the fear. <laughs> which And that kind of fear is kind of self... It's generated from not knowing how the world is, but then right. it's fed by internal right. fear. Right.
0: Do you find that fear within organizations uh, is kind of a, a top-down phenomenon? Uh, or?
1: Without question.
0: Uh,
1: without question. Okay. If you have really good open, honest leadership mm-hmm. who you trust right. and leaders who hire the right people mm-hmm. and create a good culture, you are not going to find the fear down at the bottom. And if mm. if—and those leaders won't tolerate it. Ah. They get rid of toxic people very quickly.
0: Ah, I see. So,
1: you know, I see, for young people, this is very important. Do your research. Find out what mm. kind of company you're interviewing right. with. Right. What's the yeah, culture yeah, yeah, yeah. and not the mission statement? Right. Right, go to right. go to Starbucks on the corner. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Try and
1: ride up in the elevator. See what people look like. Do they yeah, look happy? Do yeah. they look energized? Do they look excited? Right. If they
0: don't, don't go work there. Right, right. No, I mean, and especially now, like so much is online and with social media. You just got to find a few people who, who work at an no. organization who are active bloggers or are yes. on Twitter or Facebook, and you yeah, can find but out a in, lot.
1: In big fear organizations, no, the, you won't find that. Online, Uh, because people lose their jobs if they talk about it. So you have to, you know, it's like when one company wants to buy another company, they do a lot of forensic work, and you have to be doing that kind of work. Uh. You'd be amazed at the, you know, things that are forensically done to find out about another company. Oh,
0: really? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Due diligence. It's all part of due diligence. due diligence. Absolutely, absolutely. So... It's in, in the process of writing the book and, and since it's it just came out when it uh, well it was published in London on July
1: 3rd and it was published oh. here on the 28th of July. Oh wow, so very, very exciting. Very recent. Okay. Yes.
0: What kinds of organizations are open to the message that you have in here?
1: I think um entrepreneurs are mm mm-hmm. mhm and that's very powerful in America, that yeah. entrepreneurs are not so widespread in yeah. the United Kingdom. I think you'd have to say that, you know, by and large, the media may not be open to this. Mm-hmm. Um, government departments may not be open to this. Financial mm-hmm. services, you mm. know, um, are probably not going to be open to right. this. Right, right. And, you know, I say there are some people who thrive on anxiety-driven mm-hmm. cultures. Yeah. If you're not that person, you don't belong in that environment. Right. Realistically, is a big hedge fund that's making hundreds of billions of dollars for their clients going to become right. fear-free? <laughs> I doubt <laughs> it. I doubt it, yeah. But, you know, it's step by step. There are some technology companies that are very interested Mm -hmm. because, you know, they want their people to be creative. So they really are doing a lot of research. There's Holacracy, which is becoming big in Silicon Valley.
0: What did you call it?
1: Flat structures. Oh, And somebody named uh, Lalu, Frederick Lalu, I think, Uh wrote a book called Reinventing organizations which is based Ah, on holacracy okay so that you know you your teams generate themselves you don't have bosses well you know there's always a boss somewhere who's dictating (laughs) yes there's
0: always there's always at the very least a ceo or president yeah 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 yeah. wow um do you have any examples of of uh, just very short quick example of maybe a, um, an organization that in, in, took these principles to heart and made a shift in in what happened? Well,
1: I think I work with uh, very close to someone named Nancy Klein and mm-hmm. she has written a book called Time to Think More Time to Think. Mm. I don't know the name of the organization she works That's with okay. in South Africa. Okay. She does a lot of work in South Africa, and her theory is that because of Mandela, mm-hmm. every businesses in South Africa are open mm-hmm. to change in a mm-hmm. way that other organizations and other countries aren't. Oh,
0: interesting. Because
1: it's part of their they've had to change, change everything. Right.
0: They've had very radical change. Yeah.
1: And she teaches people how to think how to make decisions and she does mm. it through listening mm. through not interrupting people through mm. letting people generate their own decisions she yeah. calls it generative thinking and oh. and that she has actually consulted into governments and I, I've done training with her and she's my coach and mentor now oh. and uh, she has a way of running uh, business meetings
3: hmm.
1: where you know everybody it's around the table. We've all been right. at meetings where you have f- three people who speak and they're generally right. the bosses but in a Nancy Klein Time to Think meeting everybody gets their chance hmm. to participate and also the people at the meeting are there because they need to be there not because they want to be there. Ah. So it's you know and things are discussed at meetings that can be actioned on, so it's not just an open dialogue.
3: Right, right.
1: So those right. are the ways that companies can begin to change. And actually, it's it's changing the small things that's really powerful.
0: Right, right. The, it's the little things that all add up yeah. that can make huge shifts.
1: Yeah. If you have people, if you have managers who know how to listen to right. the people who work for them, that makes a huge difference, because when people are listened to, they feel acknowledged. Mm-hmm. They feel they have status and certainty and mm-hmm. autonomy. Mm-hmm. And these things are very powerful.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Time for us to take our last commercial break, believe it or not. So when we come back, um, let's talk about the what your intention is for this book and how you think it'll make an effect and maybe what's coming in the future for Joan Kingsley. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we'll be right back. <laughs>
2: This is Michael Dolce, your brand new radio host on talkradio.nyc. I've been professionally writing and drawing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for over 15 years. Catch my new show, Secrets of the Sire, Fridays at 11 a.m. and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com right now. talkingalternative.com
0: The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We've been talking this hour with Joan Kingsley, author of the book The Fear-Free Organization. Um, So we've been talking a lot about sort of fear in the organizations, kind of in our lives. Um, I'm just curious, like with technology and with the interconnectedness that we have now, um, does fear spread more rapidly? Is is fear kind of taken on, I don't know, any different characteristics given we're much more interconnected? I think
1: think the um, relationship aspect of life has changed so much mm-hmm. so i have two daughters they, right. they are millennials mm-hmm. born between 1980 and whatever so one was right. born in 81 was born in 84
3: mm-hmm.
1: and the my younger daughter has closed her facebook account she really can in fact i interviewed her for the book oh she cannot bear having her privacy Huh. Uh, you know, and and so my older daughter feels the same. She still has her Facebook account. She uh, doesn't use it very much, uh-huh. but they both feel very strongly that this is a force of evil that they've <laughs> made. No, seriously, <laughs> really? you're laughing. That yeah. that it makes relationships very complicated, yeah. and your privacy is invaded all the time. And yeah. uh, Annabelle, my younger daughter, says, you know, it's horrible because. Y- She'll be doing something at 10 o'clock at night and a text message comes in and she feels if she doesn't respond to it immediately, Mm. whether it's a social friend or somebody from the office Mm. is irrelevant. She doesn't feel like she has privacy anymore Uh. and that people get angry Uh if you don't respond immediately. And you see people at restaurants A young couple, and all they're doing is looking at their phones. I mean, what is going on? I do see that a
0: lot in New York, yeah.
1: But the young people don't really like it very much. They feel that big brother... is running their lives and they're not happy about
0: it right 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 no i i laugh when 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 i hear you say that facebook is a force of evil just because there are a lot of people who feel mark zuckerberg is a force of evil well but but i'm i'm a big believer in using technology but not letting it control you so yeah i mean i understand like people get really hung up on that stuff but i'm like weekends you know i turn it off and i only post or respond if i feel necessary and the other thing too is your privacy is invaded only as much as you share yes so if you don't want people to know about something personal you don't share it
1: you don't share it but everybody is sharing everything Everything, so now there's instagram and all these photographs and and people Every move they make to, throughout their day is photographed, and their f- why do people take pictures of food?
0: For having sake. actually, you know what's annoying me more than anything else now is people taking pictures of their feet. <laughs> I like see people on vacation taking pictures of their feet all over them. Like. Who wants to see your feet? I, I don't get it. I don't get it.
1: And we went to St. Petersburg a few years ago, uh-huh. and there were lots of Asian tourists there. Yes. I love Asian people, but yeah. they, you couldn't see the artwork because everybody's right. holding their right. their phones yeah, up taking and their pictures. iPads. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So absolutely. you can't see
1: anything. And yes. w- and what about experiencing something? Right, Because right. what you're doing is you're putting a wall between you and whatever it is you're trying to experience. Right, right, absolutely. And how does this get? How does this relate to fear in organizations? organizations. Well, you know, really smart, good organizations, what they do with their older Mm -hmm. uh, managers Mm -hmm. and employees is they assign them a young mentor. So they do, so you have a sort of, you know, 25 year old mentoring. Uh for social media for technology somebody uh, who's 50 and that is fantastic yeah, and, and more well and more organizations great. really would do well to do that. I love that because you open up lines of communication you know and everything is built on empathy mm-hmm. and it can be very easy to be 50, 45, 50 and feeling intimidated by the mm-hmm. younger generation and yeah, not being able yeah. to step in their shoes. But as soon right. as you have that mentoring relationship, right. you're suddenly
0: dealing with a person. Yes. You know, instead yes. of a label. And, and, and it makes life a lot easier. Yes. Do you have a... a, a case study of a fear-free organization maybe we can highlight for our audience well my husband runs a fear-free organization ah. he is an
1: entrepreneur okay. his name is philip kingsley and he's a trichologist so he's a world's leading expert on hair and scalp i sit ah, on the okay. i'm a, on the board of directors i'm very involved in strategy and, and i understand he's kind of famous for coming up with a certain phrase uh yes, the uh, bad hair day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, how did you know that? Wow. Oh, I, I have my thrilled. spies everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But he has he has a clinic in New York. He has a clinic mm-hmm. in London. He also has a product company which markets his products mm-hmm. in throughout the world, really, yeah. and um, here as well. Uh-huh. And people do not leave. People never leave him. So he has people in New York. He opened his clinic in 1975 in New York. Uh He has three people who've been working for him since 1975. His director in London, Glenn Lyons, who is a wonderful trichologist as well. Uh just had his 50th anniversary with him. Wow. And there was somebody else 45 years. So he believed, he's he's like unconditional love for his, Mm. the people who work for him. Mm. And he, um, he just—he's fun. Mm. He's energetic. He works hard, and people. So What does he do when that.
0: fear pops up in his organization, or does it just not because he it creates just, such an environment? Well, obviously, it pops up because yeah. then you
1: get these subcultures, and they try right. and keep it from him. But then right. I, I'm around to let him know about <laughs> it. <laughs> and our daughter Annabelle works at the company now, uh, so he finds out. And, okay. and we have a wonderful chairman, Graham Fish, who will he believes what you do if somebody's not performing is you find their potential mm. and you get the best out of them
3: mm-hmm.
1: and if they don't want to work with you they're going to leave so right. he's never fired anybody people ah. who don't find that they're not fitting in so we'll go and get another s- job.
0: So it's self-selecting in a way.
1: Yes, and, and there's no fear around. It's wonderful, wonderful.
0: Wonderful, beautiful. Well, Joan, thank you so much for popping in during thank your visit you. here in New thank York you. to come to the studio. The book is called The Fear-Free Organization, Vital Insights from Neuroscience to Transform Your Business Culture. Where can people find the book? I'm assuming.
1: Well, Amazon, Amazon. Barnes & Noble. Um, I'm not sure where else. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kogan Page, the publishers, have a website as well. I think okay. you can do, order do you it have
0: website for the book itself or we're, we're,
1: but we were so busy writing the book, book. we're right ah, now creating okay. we have somebody creating the website so it should be live pretty soon
0: okay great yeah. great yeah. well thank you so much for coming on the show thank you thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week
2: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and storytelling? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your brand new radio host on TalkRadio.nyc. I've been professionally writing and drawing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for over 15 years. Catch my new show, Secrets of the Sire, Fridays at 11 a.m., and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com right now.
0: Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Talking